Well, Jesus came into the world to save the world. And to that end, he went to the cross, and he died on the cross, took our sins upon himself, absorbed the judgment that was due us so that we might have forgiveness of sins, have a relationship with God, eternal life. But one of the things that he did while he was walking on the earth is he discipled a handful of men, a small group of men. He concentrated his effort, his teaching, his training on a small group. And these men were taught to do the same thing, that they also would be involved in this process of reproduction, that they would also take a small group or a few and train them to also be like Jesus and do the things that Jesus did. One of the things that Jesus prays in John 17, I want us to look at it, because it gives us a glimpse into the mission that Jesus received from his father. John 17, verses 1 through 4, let's read it. Jesus spoke these things, and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him he may give eternal life. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Now notice verse 4. I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. So Jesus says in this prayer that he has accomplished the work the Father gave him to do. Now what was on his mind when he said that? What was the work? Well, he hadn't yet gone to the cross to die for our sins. So what was the work that he was talking about in John 17. Well, I think that the work must surely include the fact that he was focusing his effort on making disciples that would continue to do what he had done to them, would continue to do unto others. In fact, there's a telling verse in Acts 4, verse 13. It says this, Now, as they observed the confidence of Peter and John, two of Jesus' disciples, as they, the religious leaders, observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were marveling and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. So Jesus made disciples that were like him. But why did Jesus focus on just a small group? Of disciples. There were large crowds that gathered, but his focus was on this small group that he spent time with. Why did he do it that way? Let me ask you this question Would you rather receive $10,000 a day starting today for the next 30 days, or would you rather? which would result in $300,000, or would you rather have a penny given to you today and then it's doubled every day for 30 days? What would you rather have? 
Well, most people, without doing the math, would say, I'll take the $10,000 a day for the next 30 or 31 days and have $300,000, $310,000. They can't imagine how one penny being, being doubled every day for 31 days is going to be more than that, more than $310,000. But do you know how much it would be? If you took the penny and doubled it every day for 31 days, at the end of 31 days, you'd have 10, over $10 million dollars. Some of you are thinking, nah, do the math. You'd have $10,737,000. That's the power of multiplication over addition. There is an interesting, uh, I guess, display on this, in the Museum of Natural Science in Chicago. On one wall, they have a checkerboard of 64 squares. And on the far left-hand lower corner, there's one grain. One grain of wheat is in that square. And it said if you doubled that grain of wheat through all 64 squares, how much grain do you think you would have at the, by the time you got to the 64th square? One grain of wheat doubled for the 64 squares. How much do you think you'd have? You think you'd have a carload of grain? You think you'd have a train load, a house full? Do you think you'd have enough grain to fill this whole building? Do you know how much you'd have? Well, in the display, it tells us. It says you would have enough to cover the country of India six feet deep. Some of you are going, nah, do the math. That's the power of multiplication over addition. Now, let's apply that to the idea of a world with 7.8 billion people that we want to see reached with the gospel, reached for Christ. Now, if your strategy was addition and you could preach to a 1,000 people a day, a different thousand people a day, and you had tremendous results. You had a team went ahead of you everywhere, and they prepared, and all you had to do was go and preach to a thousand people every day. How long would it take you to reach 7.8 billion people? Well, if you do the math, you find out it'll take you 21,000 years. That's assuming no population growth. 21,000 years. Now, let's change this. Let's, instead of addition, let's try to do it by multiplication. Let's say you were able to take three people for a whole year and pour everything you could into their lives as disciples of Jesus, concentrated on three people for a year. At the end of that year, those three people each take three people. All right, so now you have nine people at the end of that second year. So now let's say uh, at the end of four years, I mean, in three years you have 27, end of four years you have 81. Doesn't seem like you're getting very far, does it? 81 after four years. End of five years, 243. 
And of six years, 729, it still seems like we're not getting very far, very fast. And of seven years, 2,187. And of 21 years, you have over 10 billion. 10 billion. Through the multiplication method, the world could be totally discipled in 21 years if only you decided to start the process. If only you. Now, of course, this is very idealistic. I understand, but I do want you to see this principle of multiplication over addition if we're going to really impact the world. That is why Jesus did it the way that he did it. It's because that is the most effective way to reach the world. The most effective, the most fruitful way to fulfill the Great Commission was multiplication. The Apostle Paul really takes this same concept. We see this. Remember, he had a, his young son in the faith was Timothy. He was pouring into Timothy. Here's what he tells Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. And the things which you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, he tells Timothy, these entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Again, here's this idea of multiplication. So Paul pours into Timothy. And Timothy, he pours into just you know, a small group of faithful men. And then they are to pour into others. This, again, is this idea of multiplication. Now, when you read the book of Acts, you you find out that Paul actually had a co-laborer named Barnabas. Barnabas was a great encourager to Paul. He was a great support to him. He even held him accountable a time or two. And so we have this idea that Paul had... He had Barnabas, kind of someone walking through it with him, and he's pouring into Timothy. What if, what if everyone just in this room and online, what if we each had a Paul, somebody that would pouring into us, and we each had a Barnabas, somebody that we walked, walked alongside with, encouraged us, supported us, and we each had a Timothy, someone that we we're pouring into and developing as disciples. What a great impact that would be. If we each had a Paul, again, think about somebody maybe a little bit further along in their faith than you, somebody that could encourage you, give you some direction, some guidance, some support, a Paul. And then maybe a Barnabas, a companion, a friend who encourages, supports you, someone kind of at the same level with you, and you're going side by side, walking together. And then a Timothy, someone that's younger in the faith than you, but you're really helping them grow. You're really helping them develop. You're really teaching them how they also can be a multiplying disciple into someone else's life. I mean, how, how great would that be if everybody at Grace Community Church had a Paul and a Barnabas and a Timothy? And that is my prayer for our church, that we would have that. But I think as soon as I start talking about that, a lot of people, if, if we were all honest about it, would say, it's intimidating to me. It's intimidating to me to think about that I have something to offer somebody, that I could disciple somebody. It's intimidating. And so because I'm intimidated by the whole process, most, most back out of it and really aren't, don't become part of it. But I have great news for us today. I want you to notice something Jesus said. Now, it's a passage we've 
heard many times, but I want you to notice something I think is oftentimes overlooked in this passage. It's the Great Commission passage, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Let's look at it again. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. What I want you to notice in this passage that I think is so easily missed, I want you to notice the source of power behind all true disciple-making is the all-authority of Jesus Christ. That Jesus is the power behind disciple-making. It's his authority. He does the magic of disciple-making. He does the work, really, of disciple-making. He brings in a supernatural aspect and power in disciple-making. He does the heavy lifting, so to speak of making disciples. It's his all authority that we are walking in and moving in. Every time I have ever endeavored to invest my life into someone else's life, I always feel I'm totally inadequate. I always feel that way. No matter how great a plan I have and how great content I want to somehow help transfer And all honesty, I don't feel like I have what they need. I don't feel like I do. But here's the grace that I want to tell you about. As I keep making my little pitiful investments into the lives of someone else, my modest conversation and meeting and time with them, God continues to surprise me with the results over and over. Oftentimes, when I'm least expecting it, God will pull the covers off kind of of what's going on and show me that that's not the same person anymore, that that person has gotten so much more mature, that person becomes so much more responsible, so much more fruitful, effective, and it's like I didn't see it, and all of a sudden, God will give me a glimpse of what is going on and what he is doing. I got an email a few years ago from a friend he was now pastoring a church. He just, out of the blue, he emailed me. I hadn't seen him or talked to him in a long time. He said, I had a dream last night with you in it. It was a sweet reminder of the years you invested in me up close and trusted me to serve in ministry. And even now, you continue to bless me from a distance. I just wanted to say thank you. So here's this friend that I ministered to that I... I had to stop and try to remember those ministry times we had together because I don't, I don't remember them being significant. And now he's pastoring a church, and he took the time to email me that there was a significant thing that happened there. And that's when I stand and back up and just go, God, you did some supernatural work there because he's the one doing it. He's involved in this process. He's doing the heavy lifting. It reminds me of what Jesus says here in Mark chapter 4. Let's look at it. Mark 4, verse 26 through 29. And he was saying, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed upon the soil. And he goes to bed at night and gets up by day and the seed sprouts and grows how he himself does not know. The soil produces crops by itself. 
first the blade, then the head, then the mature grain in the head. But when the crop permits, he immediately puts in the cycle because the harvest has come. I mean, disciple making, in my experience, is like that. You scatter some seed. You have a meeting. You pray with someone. You're encouraging them. You're helping them learn something. You're involved in their life. You cast a seed. It didn't seem significant to you that you did. And then you go to sleep. And you sleep and sleep and you, time to time. But what you don't know is that seed is, is, is sprouting. And it's growing without even you noticing that it's growing. I know not how, he says in the parable. I mean, you can't even think of the clear cause-effect connections, really. They don't seem to match up to the results you end up seeing long-term. But you keep investing. It doesn't seem like it's making that big a difference, but, but God himself is involved. He's causing the growth, the blade, the ear, then the full grain in the ear. And all of a sudden, you look, and God did it again. He did it again. You see, as with farming, we typically don't see the organic process taking place that's happening. But over the course of time, God is causing this seed that you planted to grow. And all of a sudden, like in a moment, God takes the blinders off and you see some evidence. You're like, wow, I had no idea all that was happening the reason is because God is supernaturally involved so much more than what we can weigh and somehow dissect and figure out in the, in the, just in the natural. I had a conversation uh, not that long ago with, I tried to track down the statistics professor in college that discipled me for two years after I was a new Christian in college. And I tried to track him down and found him eventually. But he is a retired now statistics professor living in Indiana. And I just wanted to call him and say thank you. Thank you for investing in my life. And when I called him and started to talk to him, this is 45 years time difference. When I started to talk to him, I could even tell in his voice there was a certain amount of discouragement because he didn't think what he was doing was making any difference. And I wanted to tell him, tell him that what you did in my life made a huge difference. And I wanted to encourage him in that because it's why you're doing it. You, you can't really tell how much of an impact you're having. But God is involved. And he is working. He's working quietly, inconspicuously, slowly, beneath the surface. And then suddenly, we see this in the Bible all the time, suddenly a child is born. The stone is rolled away. The scales fall off the eyes. That suddenness is what we notice when God is working all along to make these things happen. One thing I hope he does among other things, not only inspire us to take the hardest step, each one of us, in disciple-making, which I think the hardest step is to initiate the process. I think that's the hardest step. But also, I think you need to know something, the truth we're about to talk about, to not only start, but to persevere in this. And I want to give you just four really 
simple truths that you need to understand about how God is involved in the discipleship process way more than you think he is. First of all, the first thing is this. It's the power of the new birth. 1 Peter 1, 3-4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. So first of all, the person that you want to disciple, we need to understand that they have been caused by God to be born again. They didn't cause themselves to be born again, not according to what we just read. That God, it was by God's power that they're born again. So, so that God causes them to be born again. But this new birth, I want you to see what happens in this new birth. Out of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, look what happens here. <clears throat> 1 Thess 2.13, for this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God. Listen to this. Which also performs its work in you who believe. So this gospel word of God not only produces a new birth in somebody, but it remains in them and is at work in them. It's still working in them. I want you to think about that. This person that you might invest in, this person who's been born again, that word of God, word of the gospel, is in them and still working. It's still at work in them. You're not, it's not just up to you. There is the word of God working in them. All right? That's the first thing. Second thing, the power of the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, verse 9 through 11, says, However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies, through his spirit who dwells in you. So the Holy Spirit of God dwells in you and dwells in that person you want to disciple, dwells in you. So think about that. It's just not up to just you. The word of God is in them at work. The gospel word of God is in them working, not just you, it's working. And the spirit of God is in them, dwelling in them, and he's working. It's not just up to you. All right, a third thing, the power of Christ intercession. Hebrews 7.25 says, Therefore, he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. So Jesus Christ, the God-man, ascended in his glorified human body, sat down at the right hand of the Father. And what is he doing there? He always lives to make intercession for those who belong to him. So think about that. The person you're trying to disciple has the, the, word, the gospel word of God in them, working. Has the Holy Spirit dwelling in them, working. Has Jesus, the Son of God, praying for them. It's just not just up to you. But there's another thing. And there's a power of Christ to use us as weak vessels. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. Jesus said to Paul, 
My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I'll rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Disciple-making will help you realize your weakness. Perhaps as much as anything in life, we realize our weakness. But knowing your weakness actually is a great place to be. It's a great place to be. Because Christ says that his power is made perfect in our weakness. So it's not just up to you that the gospel word of God is in them at work. The Holy Spirit dwells in them. He's working. You got Jesus interceding and praying for them. Not only that, he is going to actually work his strength and power in our weakness. I got an email from a pastor out of the blue in Michigan, from Michigan. I don't know. I never met him. I don't even know how uh, he got any information about me, how to contact me. But here's what he emailed me. He said, I just want to write you and say thank you for saving my ministry. Actually, thank you for saving my life. God directed me to a message you preached, and it saved me. Thank you. I just thought, what? What are you talking about? Who are you? And what you, how did you get that? And what, what did I say? See, as we make our little weak investments here and there, God gets involved. God takes it. And God does amazing things with our little pathetic investments. God loves to use us in our weakness. His power is made perfect in our weakness. I think the reason he does it this way is so he'll get the glory and we won't. We are weak. He is strong, especially in discipling. So the gospel word of God is in them at work. The Holy Spirit dwells in them. He's working. Jesus is interceding for them. He's praying for them. Top of that, God loves to use us in our weakness. He uses his power in our weakness. So it's not up to my adequacy. Aren't you glad? It's not up to your adequacy. God is involved at all kinds of levels. So discipleship is a slam dunk if we'll just decide we're going to participate in it because God will do the heavy lifting. So let me give you the first steps. The first steps are, are, are simple, but you've got to take them. Step number one is you've got to realize that multiplication is really the way to get the job done. We've got to all get involved in this. You've got to believe it matters. And hopefully today it's, it's become convincing to you. Multiplication is the way we're going to get the Great Commission done. Number two, step two, start praying that God will intersect you with your Paul, your Barnabas, and your Timothy. Some of you already have that. Some of you have parts of that. But pray, God, would you help intersect me with my Paul and my my Barnabas and my Timothy? Pray for it. Number three, initiate. Initiate. Begin to ask people that God's going to give in your mind's eye, and we're going to pray this in just a moment. Begin just to initiate. Say, hey, how about we get coffee together? Hey, let's grab a lunch. How about we do this on a regular basis and maybe there's some content that we can even read together and talk about. Keep it simple. And we provide you guys with a handout and different content you can use. Uh, you know, hopefully as you came, if you didn't get that, get it please on the, on the way out. 
Also, Right Now Media is a, is a great resource. Online, Right Now Media, it's a, it's a resource you can use. The church, we have paid, paid for it for you. So you can access it and use that. But have some content that you're working through together. But God wants to use you and me in the multiplication process. And he will do the heavy lifting. That's what I want you to be convinced of today. So who will be your Paul? Who will be your Barnabas? Who will be your Timothy? Be thinking about that. We're going to pray for that in just a moment. Last week I had an unexpected visitor come by the church. 43 years ago, uh, I, the Cornerstone, our campus ministry at UTA, I, we actually had a, uh, I had a small group of uh, guys in a Bible study. And one of them, his name was Voon Min. He was from Malaysia. And we got close and, as we're in our discipleship group. In fact, uh, one time I had saved $800 to take the next semester at seminary. He had an emergency family need for $800. I just gave it to him. I thought, well, Lord, I, I think I'm supposed to go to seminary, but here's a need. I just gave it to him. Next day, a dentist who I was discipling called me up and said, hey, you got your money for seminary? He said, not anymore. He said, I want to pay for it. By the way, let me interject. You can't outgive God. You cannot be outgive God. So don't think, I don't know if I give this away. I'm losing it. No, you can't outgive God. Be generous. God will outgive you, I promise you. But anyway, so we had a discipleship relationship, and I really didn't keep up with him. He stopped by last week to say hi. He went on to get his engineering degree from UTA, but then he, came, then he went on to get a master's degree in theology and a PhD in New Testament. And he wrote a book about the wedding in Cana. He came by to bring me a copy of the book. And I, I said, tell me what's going on. He says, now he's pastoring a Chinese Baptist church in Albuquerque, New York. And I'm just thinking, I'm just looking at him going, what? But see, God will take these little investments we make, and he will go to work with a much bigger plan if we will just decide we're going to get involved, get involved in the process. So first, believe that you ought to be involved. I hope you believe that today. And then just pray. Pray, Lord, would you show me who my Paul, my Barnabas, my Timothy is? And then initiate. Just start to get together some. Don't draw out a big process. You know, don't start speaking old English, you know. Thou shalt be with my disciple. I mean, just get together. Hang out. But have something, some content. There's so much good content that we can help you with. Begin to discuss and learn and teach. And so let's stand for closing prayer. And I just want, we're going to ask the Lord to do something that only he can do. He can put someone, some, he's already doing that in some of you. Some of you, during this message, already he's putting people on your mind already. He's already got you. Some of you guys already seen their face on your mind's eye. You see it right now. Father, we ask that you would do that for all of us. Lord, would you just put that person on our mind, Lord, right now. The person you want us to initiate to. Maybe the person you want us to initiate to that could be a Paul to us or a Barnabas, but also that person that could be that Timothy that you want us to begin to invest into. In small, weak ways, but we're trusting you to do all the power, all only what you can do. 
And we thank you, Lord, that uh, you want to do this more than, we're asked, more than we want to do it. And so we know, that, Lord, that you have set this whole thing up to happen. So we pray now, Lord, would you just put those people on our mind today? I pray that for each one of us, I pray that none of us could go throughout this day without you putting a person on our mind. We ask you to do that. We ask you to bring into fruition all that you want to accomplish. In Jesus' name.